Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. Amen. If you have your Bible open to Genesis chapter 15. And 17, we'll be in both this morning. If you were Abraham and 99 years old and you heard the Lord once again promise to you that he was going to give you an heir, you might uh, be questioning your God. When you place a spoon in a glass of water that's about two-thirds full, it appears that the spoon is bent or broken. Yeah, you've, you've done that. You've seen that. You remember that from science class, that little science experiment uh, on refraction when the light shines through that water and it just makes that spoon amazingly appear broken. It's distorted. Your view of that is not correct. The world that we're living in has always created that kind of refraction, especially when it comes to life. It offers us a distorted view of life and when we look Um, at our life, trying to live life in a way that the secular culture around us has defined it, it causes us to see things fractured. It's a refracted view of reality. And God is calling or has called Abram on this journey, and to anyone around him, it might appear that he is off his rocker. But he is not. He has a real view of life, and that is to follow God and believe him when he, in what he has promised. In fact, each of us is called in Christ to believe and walk with God. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12 says, We now see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. When we are walking with God and believing and taking God at his word, trusting in his word, we will see life as it really is following him. As we look at that journey of of Abram, we can quickly realize this is no ordinary journey that he is on. He and Sarai have left everything that God has called them to go to a place where they don't know where it is, but they're following him and God has promised to show him where that land and where that home would be. God has called Abram to trust his promises, to leave his family, his home, his culture, and go to this land. And along the way, God promised Abram heirs. He would have a son. He would have a child. He would have someone to leave it to. And for generations, the people of Abram or Abraham would be blessed because of him. And yet we get to chapter 17 and we'll find that Abram is 99 years old and still has no heir through Sarah. So, if you would stand with me, we're going to read Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6, and then jump over to chapter 17, and also there, read 1 through 6. After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, Lord God... What can you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? 
Abram continued, look, you have given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my heir. Now the word of the Lord came to him, this one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look at the sky and count the stars if you are able to count them. Then he said to him, your offspring will be that numerous. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Chapter 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him saying, I am God Almighty. Live in my presence and be blameless. I will set up my covenant between me and you and I will multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell face down and God spoke with him. As for me, here is my covenant with you. You will become the father of many nations. Your name will no longer be Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I will make you the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful and will make nations and kings from you. I will confirm my covenant that is between me and you with your future and your future offspring throughout the generations. It is a permanent covenant to be your God and the God of your offspring after you. And to you and your future offspring, I will give the land where you are residing, all the land of Canaan, as a permanent possession, and I will be their God. Let's pray together. God Almighty, El Shaddai, forgive us when, Lord, we get ahead of you and try in our own strength to do what only you can do. Lord, may we not be content with where we are and in what we are. But I pray, Lord, that you would stir in our hearts with a longing and desire for you that can only be experienced in your presence. Father, as I often pray, what we do not know, teach us. What we do not have, provide for us. And what we are not, make us Lord, for your glory and our good. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, church. You may be seated. Abram believed God. In Genesis 15, and we find ourselves smack dab in the middle of his journey. It's been a bit of an up and down up to this point. If you go back to chapter 14, you find some of the struggle that I mentioned last week with Lot. You'll find more struggle with Lot as the journey goes on, but the rest of Abram and Sarai's journey is going to be that way, up and down. And yet, even in the up and down, you find in Abram a man of faith, a man believing and trusting the promises of God, but yet in the very next minute, you will find him waffling and failing, it seems. And one guy said, Abram was sometimes as unpredictable as the wind. We might, in Texas, say as unpredictable as the weather. Blue northern one day, and here comes the south wind the next day, right? We're back up to 90 degrees. Who knows? Sometimes Abram is that unpredictable. But if you're reading along with us, you'll know that there is one constant in Abram's life, in Sarai's life, throughout all of it is our Lord. And what we find in 15, 16, and 17 is a simple truth that with God, anything is possible. That our God is able to do anything. At the beginning of chapter 15, the story picks up where once again God encounters Abram in this vision. As is often the case in Scripture, when God encounters someone in a vision, it begins with, do not be afraid. Do not fear. 
This is an okay moment to be listening to God. Don't be scared about what I'm about to say, but listen clearly. Abram finds courage in this. He finds encouragement in this do not be afraid because of the events of chapter 14, which if you go back, you can pick up on your own time. But do not be afraid. It's, it's in this moment that God is, is being reminded that he is with him. God is with him. And he's showing him time and time again that he is his protection, that God is his portion. Abram is trusting in God and he's holding on, hoping in this promise that God has given him, not only for a child, but for this inheritance, for the, for, for the, uh, the, the land as well. And we hear Abram asks this question of God. He remembers that promise about this heir, but here's his question. How can it happen? All I have, God, it has not happened yet. All I have is a slave to take my, my holdings, my family, everything I have. He is my heir. How, how is this possible? And then God renews this promise one more time. Abram, what is impossible with you is possible by me. It's not something that can happen naturally. It is a blessing of God. It is a, a promise of God. Only God can make this happen as Abram and Sarai are well past the childbearing years. And by the time we get to 17, we see just how old Abraham is, 99. And God shares more of the details that we hear about Abram's response to, to, to more of the details as chapter, uh, verses 2, 3, 4, and 5. And he says, Abram, look up at the sky and see, can you count all of those stars that you see? Right? No city lights around, just the blackness of the Middle East Eastern sky. And he looks up, and how can you count all of those stars? I never knew. I mean, I've seen pictures, okay? But one of the hunting trips I went on back in November, we had night scope uh, uh, goggle, uh, goggles to look through, binoculars to look through. We weren't hunting. We were just looking, right? I promise. But... What I, what I found amazing was that I looked up in the sky with that night vision. I had no idea that with my own eye I could see that many stars. And then I brought it down and, and some of them disappeared. You couldn't see them all. But with that night vision, it was amazing. There was no possible way we could sit there and count. we'd be counting for our lifetime and not even get close to counting them all. Abram looks up in the sky and God says, Abram, look at this. This is your offspring. It's too numerous. And once again, Abram, we hear in verse 6, Abram believed the Lord. That response is a tsunami of truth that will reverberate throughout the rest of Scripture. This one moment where Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That Abraham had an unwavering faith. It ought to strike a chord in our hearts when we read, Abram believed God. This man is almost 99 years old. When all of this happens... In chapter 15 by 17, he is, he's at least in his early 80s by the time chapter 15 is happening. And we hear this, Abram believed God. It ought to strike a chord in our hearts. These promises are for us today, still today. Abram is looking forward to that hope that he had, the fulfilled promise that's fulfilled in Christ. We still have these promises today. For God so loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Now, in Christ we have eternal life now, but we're not living eternal life right now. We're living in the present. But when we die, when we take our last breath and we meet him face to face and we're known fully and fully known and we know what we will be then, 
That promise is fulfilled. We are looking forward to that. It's the same thing for Abram. He's looking forward to that promise that's coming. We find that still in Acts chapter 16. The preacher's preaching. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. And we read in Ephesians 2 verses 4 and 5. God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us. Made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. Through faith. Faith is the key. Believing in God. Believing in that promise. Our promise is Jesus Christ. And Paul picked up on this truth of this very moment. When I say it reverberates through the rest of Scripture, Paul picks up on that and writes about it more than anyone else, really. But in Romans chapter 4, he's writing about Abram. All of chapter 4 is really about Abraham. And he said, he did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith. And he gave glory to God. Remember, every time he encountered God or God encountered him, Abram did what? He built an altar and he worshiped the Lord. Verse 21, Paul wrote in Romans 4, because he was fully convinced that God had promised, he was able to do. He was convinced. That's when when Abram believed God. He was fully convinced that what God was promising him, Abram, you're going to have an heir. And you look up in the sky and you see all the stars. Your, Your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars that you see in the night sky. Abram was fully convinced in that moment that what God had promised he would do, he could do. Friend, it's the same for us. When you read it, everyone who believes in him, in Christ, will not perish but have everlasting life. That you believe that, that you are fully convinced that what Christ has done for you on the cross and in the power of the resurrection, that when you read that he can make your dead life in sin alive with Christ, that he is able to do that. When you are fully convinced that he is able to do that, that's what it is to believe in him and trust in that promise. Paul went on to write in verse 22, it was credited to him for righteousness. Let's think about righteousness for a moment. What is righteousness? Well, we could start by looking at God. God is righteousness. Everything he does is right. Everything he does is just and good and according to his character. He never does anything outside of his character. Everything about him is right and good and holy and perfect. That's the start of righteousness. But for you and I to be righteous... We would have to do everything like God. If he is the perfect example and he is the perfect example and picture and definition of righteousness, we would have to do everything the same according to everything he does we would have to do. Everything we do, everything we say would have to be right and good according to the standard which is God. Every single word, every single action, every second of our life we would have to be like God. And we know that that's not going to happen because we all have sin and fallen short of that standard of his glory. Not only on our outside and our words and our actions, but also what is happening on the inside as well. Our inner being, our internal being would have to be like God's internal character. That's it. That's what righteousness would have to look like. And yet, when Abraham believed, it wasn't that Abraham... It wasn't that Abraham, uh, because of somehow Abraham mustered up righteousness in himself, right? He believed the promises of God. He trusted God. And in that, he did what is right. God blessed him with righteousness. The Bible says there are none who are righteous. So how does that happen? The righteousness comes from God. He is the one that gives that. 
Abraham did not earn that. Let me say that clearly. Abraham did not earn that. It was given to him. That is called grace. When you and I believe and call on the name of Jesus Christ, that righteousness is extended to us because of grace. Abraham didn't believe because he was righteous already, but believed first, then righteousness came. Friend, we've got to take God at his word. We've got to believe God when he calls us to Christ. We've got to believe that our life has changed in a moment, that we are transformed in Christ, that our sin is forgiven in Christ. We must believe what God has called us to believe. And in the person of Christ, we also must believe. How is that possible? How is it possible that we would get that kind of righteousness, that God would extend that righteousness to us? We don't deserve that, and yet we read from Paul again in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us. That's how. Christ took our place at the cross, took our sin upon himself so that we might become the righteousness of God. He took our impurity, and he gives us the purity of God. What an exchange. What a transformation. What a life-changing transaction happened at the cross and when we believe in God's promise. Well, we look back at Abram and Sarai and we understand if we read Hebrews chapter 11, get some insight, more insight into, into what Abram and Sarai were doing in this moment. We also know that they all died in their faith. They, they saw Isaac, of course, because Isaac comes along. But the inheritance, the descendants that are so numerous, the descendant that comes, that is Christ Jesus, they're looking at him from a distance. They see him from a distance. Their hope is in that one, that snake-crushing redeemer that is going to come. So they're looking forward to that promise. Now, we continue on in the story. We understand he hit chapter 16, which I did not read, but I want you to read on your own. If you're going to this week, you'll, you'll come across it. In our reading, it, believing isn't always easy, especially when it's taking time. Time is something that we feel is so precious to us, and yet Abram and Sarai are on this journey, and it's taking a long time. And so Sarai takes it upon herself to encourage her husband, Abram, to take Hagar, her servant girl. Well, maybe God's just a little bit slow in his answering this promise, and so please, please be joined together with Hagar, and, and this is where the heir will come from. Okay, This is what's going to happen, and so Ishmael is born. Believing isn't always easy, especially when time is taking, God is taking his time. But listen, here's the lesson from chapter 16. Even though believing isn't always easy, we cannot fulfill God's promises in our own effort. When we get ahead of God and his promise, we cause problems. We can't fulfill God's promises with our own effort. If you read into the story of chapter 16, you'll see that even though it was Sarai's idea, she gets very bitter. She gets very angry against uh, Ishmael and Hagar. She sends him away. She has Abraham send him away, and yet God is there, and he sees Hagar. He sees the, her plight. He sees Ishmael. He's not going to leave them out to dry. God's going to take care of them, and he does. But when we get back into the story, we get into a really big mess when we don't wait on God's timing. Yes, Lord, Isaiah 26, 8 says, we wait your name and your renown are the desire of our hearts, a call to wait on God's timing. Why is this important? Well, one, because we cannot save ourselves. We cannot earn our own righteousness. We will accomplish nothing for God as a church as long as we can think we can do this in our own strength. Any plans that God has for Coastal Oaks moving forward, if it, if it can be done in our strength and in our timing, then it is not of God. 
God calls us. He stretches us while we're on this journey. Anything we think we can do in following Christ and growing in Christ on our own strength is not of God. That's the Holy Spirit's work to work in us. Listen, if you're trusting in your good works, let me say this, if you're trusting in your good works that somehow it's going to outweigh the bad, on God's scales of justice, you're sadly mistaken. If you're here this morning and you're a partner, a member of Coastal Oaks Church, and that's what you're banking on, you're sadly mistaken. If you're banking on your kindness to others to get you in, just like Abram, you're off your rocker. It's not going to happen. Abram is learning this lesson, and by the time we get to Genesis 17, Ishmael, Sarai's plan, is 13 years old, and Abram is now 99 years old, and he's still waiting on God's fulfillment, as is Sarah. But now God is going to take him a step further in this journey and reveal himself one more time. Why didn't God cut him off after chapter 16? Have you ever wondered that? Here's Sarai and Abram. They get into this big mess with Hagar and Ishmael, and that meant... Ishmael and Isaac, the descendants, they're still at war against each other. They've never liked each other. They're still going at each other. And yet, why, why didn't God cut him off? I'll tell you why. Because the Bible says God is patient. God is slow to anger, not wanting anyone to perish. Friend, God's timing is always right. God's plan is always right. And it's exactly where we ought to be if we are walking by faith in Christ. We want to be in the center of God's will for our life in Christ. Because that is where the best place to be. Look, that's where we get transformed. Look at verse seven, uh, chapter 17. We read it a moment ago. Because believing transforms our life. When Abram was 99 years old, anybody 99 this morning? All right, hopefully some of you will make it. I once did a funeral for a 103-year-old woman. Amazing story, amazing life that God would allow. She still wore the brightest red lipstick at 103 you ever saw. You knew she was at church, too. You knew she was always there if she could be. Amazing, amazing. But I tell you what, she wasn't ready to have a child. <laughs> she wasn't. I can promise you that. But Abram, 99 years old. There he is. Sarah, Sarai, she's about 90. She's following along. Holy cow. One more time. Here comes Abram, God. It's time. You know how it's time? Here it goes. Abram. I am God Almighty. El Shaddai. El Shaddai. That's the name that is used there in Hebrew. El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. Live in my presence and be blameless. That name can have two meanings. El Shaddai. It can refer to a mountain. You obviously get the imagery. Mountains are huge. They're, well, we obviously don't have any around here. It'd be nice to see some every now and then, but we don't, right? But if you see them, it's an amazing sight. They, they promote strength. They scream strength, strong foundation. It just oozes out of them, that, that kind of strength and that kind of power. I mean, if you've been following the news, you saw the, the volcanic eruption out in the South Pacific. And the power that is contained in those. You, some of you might remember Mount St. Helens and that eruption and the power from that explosion. The power that is there. The other image is that of a nursing infant to her mother's breast. The nourishment that is received from that. That that's the only way that infant is going to survive is if that nourishment is there. You get the imagery. 
Either way, God is providing and has the power to supply all of our needs. He has the ability to answer that promise even when Abram is 99 years old and his wife is not too far along. Friend, here's what El Shaddai points us to is that our God is all sufficient. That is a transforming moment for Abraham. Now he's Abraham. It's a transforming moment for us when we come to Christ And we realize that our God is all sufficient to forgive us of our sins and to give us a new start. And to one day that we would receive eternal life. God calls Abram to live in his presence. Listen, he says, live in my presence and be blameless. Friend, if you're in the presence of God and you're walking in the center of his will, there is no sin in the center of his will. You are right when you are in the center of his will. When you are following by faith. Abram is walking too much before Sarai in chapter 16 and now in chapter 17 God's calling him back walk with me Abraham not your wife Sarah walk with me walk before me and be blameless don't put Sarai before me in all things in his life Abram was acting as one who lived in the immediate presence of God from this point on it seems like that's where Abram is going to be El Shaddai God Almighty has just commanded you, Abram, to walk before him. What a moment. And then he says to be blameless. Listen, again, if you're in the center of God's will in Christ, you're not going to be wrong. And to be blameless is to to be linked with the truth, to be upright, to be righteous. Remember, Abram believed God and it was credited to him. It was given to him, counted to him as righteousness. This is transforming. And Abram, what does he do? He falls down before God one more time and he continues now as Abraham. No longer will your name be Abram. Now your name will be Abraham, a father of a multitude of many nations. And then he goes on into the giving of this external sign of the covenant, circumcision. Now today in the church we have the external sign of baptism. But it is a sign that which marks the inside reality, the inward reality of the heart that has been changed by God, a heart that has been surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ and that is completely trusting in Him. And the result of God's talking with Abraham is that though Abraham is still low before the Lord, we'll see further down in verse 17. Okay? At this point, God has given him the outside covenant, the 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 circumcision, this is how it's going to be a sign. All of Abraham's descendants are to follow that sign. He gets to chapter, uh, excuse me, verse 15. And now her her name is no longer Sarai, but now she's going to be called Princess. For she's going to produce nations. Kings of peoples are going to come from her. And then chapter, uh, verse 17, Abraham falls down and he laughed and said to himself, Can a child be born to a hundred-year-old man? Friend, God always knows what's going on on the inside. We can always put up a good front at church, but he knows what's in your heart. He knows when when you're laughing at him. And so God says, Abraham, it's going to happen. I'm going to come back in a year from now, and your wife Sarah is going to be with a child. You're going to name him Isaac. You know why? Because that means laughter. I heard you laughing at me. (laughs) His name's going to be Isaac. Because what is impossible with man is totally possible with God. Friend, that's the end of the sermon right there. Because God is able. 
we must trust him. You must continue to trust him because God is able. Our God is able. Listen, we've got to turn our back on the world that says that our God is not able, that, to, that says our God is not even there. We've got to turn our back on the, on the world that's teaching us the truth that you've got to get this, achieve that, be this person, look like this, and, and find your true self out there somewhere because you are able to do all of those things. That's the God of our time. You are the God of our times. We've made ourselves into, into little gods and we're convinced that we've got somewhere inside of us our own strength and our own power. that We can reach our fullest potential and do whatever we want to do. That, and then we might even ask God somewhere along the way or another God to bless our potential, to bless our plans. How many times in our life have we made a promise and not kept it? I don't want a God that doesn't keep his promises. I want a God that does keep his promises. I want a way maker. I want a God who's going to find a way because he is able. I want not find a way as if he doesn't know, but to know the way and to make the way possible because he is able. And that is the promise that he did and that's the promise that he kept. That believing God isn't believing that I can, but believing God says I can't, but he can because he is able. That's faith. Faith is a response to the word of God. Faith is a response to believing the word of God, that we take him and trust him at his word. Faith isn't perfection. Let's remember that. Faith is not perfection, but it is a simple trust in the one who is. We can and we are going to blow it just as Abraham will blow it again. And yet his trust still remains in God. We rest on his promises. Listen, we rest on his promise and not our performance. We rest on his promise, his promises to make us new. We keep trusting in that and we keep following it in faith. Also, let's see in Abraham and Sarah that faith does not give up. The New Testament calls us to endurance. The seven churches received a letter and every letter says to the one who overcomes. That means we have to endure and overcome following in faith. Why? Because our God is able. Too many Christians today are malnourished when it comes to tasting and seeing that our God and his word is so very good for our life. He has everything you need to walk before him. He has everything you need to accomplish his will. And he has given it to you, Christian, in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. If you'll just open your ears and listen and follow in faith. He is able to do that which we have committed to him until that day. Paul prayed that we would know that our God is able. In the book of Ephesians chapter 1, he said, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty work of his strength. And then he busted out in worship in Ephesians chapter 3, 20 and 21, when he said to him who is able... Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think. Now, the last time I saw a 99-year-old, oh, nope, never seen that. That's beyond what I can imagine. And if I reach 99, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't want that. I've had enough, thank you. And I'm pretty sure my wife has had enough, thank you. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Beyond what we could ever ask or think. According to the power that is at work in us, that's his power at work in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Friend, it's a call to trust. When we read about Abraham, we see a man 
who trusted God, who walked with God, who lived before God. And we are called to the same kind of trust and faith in his word. Every generation of those who call themselves the church must believe that God is able. And now our generation is called to believe that he is able. The heart of the crying out to Jesus for salvation and then the growth that is essential in following Christ is I can't, but he can. I am not able, but he is able. That we need to be a generation of Christians who believe that our God is able, willing and faithfully trusting his word, trusting Christ and walking before him. Too many of us, though, want to be like the kite. You ever heard the story of the kite? The kite was flying high one day and began to talk to itself. Self, if I could only get rid of this string, I could fly higher. I think the string is holding me back. I could fly higher. I could fly above the clouds if I could just get rid of the string. I could go as high as I wanted to. I could go wherever I wanted to. If I could just get rid of the string, there would be nothing holding me back. I'm limited by that string. Well, one day, the kite got its wish. The string broke loose. You know what happened to that kite? It came crashing down. What the kite didn't realize was that the same string that kept it down also kept it up. What a beautiful, holy tension there is. Cutting the string didn't make it free. We will always head toward disaster if we stop trusting God, walking before Him, and start walking with ourselves. We will always head toward disaster if we cut the dependence upon God and His power in our life. We must rely and trust that he is able. God wants you to trust him. He's provided a way for you to trust him. Friend, let him hold the string. Believing God, believing that he is able, staying connected to him will keep you from falling.